everybody and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. Uh, my name's Aid, and you are listening to show 121. At least I think that's it. Um, and uh, we've got, uh, well, we've got a great show for you this week. Uh, but first of all, uh, Rach, how are you doing? Hey, I'm good. Thanks, Aid. It's uh, nice to be back. Uh, I really enjoyed listening last week to uh, Paul from Analog Wonderland and his fantastic field report coming from Photokina, hearing about all of the uh, the lovely things that have been happening there. And it was it was really lovely to know that there was um, a strong analog contingency, you know, um, uh, that there was a, a good area, at least, of, of analogue happening and lovely, lovely fun um, new inventions and awesomeness coming from over there as well. Yeah, it seemed to it seemed to be the way he told it, like a really exciting place to be. And and, and uh, lots of big, big name Internet celebrities like us there, too. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, maybe next year we should go or something like that. <laughs> I would love to. It would be brilliant. I'll take my kits along. <laughs> okay, yeah, good idea. Good idea idea right well of course um we all actually we have all three of us this week so we've also got graham how you doing buddy i'm doing very well thank you aid yep all good and i'm very much looking forward to catching back up with abe after what we after you point out it's been nearly a year and a half since we last spoke to him so uh yeah very happy for this conversation tonight excellent well well done there for introducing our guest oh oops, spoilers <laughs> sorry <laughs> Okay. Well, no, 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 it's all right. It's all right, because I only wrote a short introduction, so I'm sure the listeners will indulge us while I read my introduction. (laughs) Okay, so listeners, right, uh, you didn't hear that last bit, but way back, way back in May of 2017, uh, we had a guest on the show um, who has spent the time since then pretty much on a roller coaster, I think. Um, and we're very glad to have him back um, uh, we are talking of course as Graham has just let slip we are talking of course about Abe Fettig uh, inventor or developer Is that, I don't know what quite the right word is of the Film Lab app hey, hey Abe how are you doing? I'm doing great thanks for having me back on the show guys how have you been? Oh well, well, well. I think how we've been is probably a matter of public record. If you've got the time to go through the backlog, <laughs> but we've had some adventures along the way, and uh, yeah, it's been it's been good. It's been good. But uh, um, I, I'm guessing uh, our efforts in, in the world of film photography have not been quite so focused as yours. <laughs> yes, focus is is true. I was actually just thinking the other day how terribly behind I am on. Uh, developing my own film, ironically, because uh, <laughs> I've been putting all my film-related energy into working on Film Lab. Well, I tell you what, um, I mean, what a great time to catch up with you. Uh, you know, last time you were here, you were in the first week of your Kickstarter, which was, was fully funded about two days after we recorded that show. I'd love to say we'd had an influence on it, but I think the show went out after you'd done that. <laughs> so, so I'm sure you had a big influence on the final result. So thank you for having me then. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. And now we sit here some 18 months later, as you say, um, and a whole bunch of stuff to catch up on. And, and right now is great because uh, version 1.0 is now live, isn't it? It is. It is live for iOS. Uh, Android is not 1.0 for Android is not out yet as uh Android users remind me frequently, so I'm working on. Uh, I was just about to. Rach and I have got pitchforks at the ready, haven't we, Rach? Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I'm very lucky. I have my beta test, um, so uh, yeah, because obviously I was one of the early early backers for, for Abe's uh, film lab. So uh, thank you, Rachel. Yeah. You're very welcome. No problem. So uh, yeah, I'm expecting mine in the post soon. <laughs> 
you know uh, guys before we go too much further because I, I bearing in mind that it has been a year and a half uh, we probably ought to explain what the film lab app is because there may well be people listening who haven't got a clue what we're talking about is that my job am i supposed to be able to explain <laughs> that? i think probably, i think so yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, so FilmLab is an app for viewing and digitizing film. Um, you can use it as like a intelligent loop to view your your photos on a light table and see what they're going to look like as positives if you're looking at your negatives. You can capture digital proof sheets with it, and you can capture uh, what I would call low-res scans. Uh, you're kind of limited to the, the photo quality of your phone camera, um, possibly with the addition of a macro lens. But you definitely can get good enough quality to quickly share a photo on Instagram or uh, show your friends some photos from the, the latest role. And then you can use a, a lab or a dedicated scanner if you need to make a print or do something else that requires high resolution. And, and yeah, so, so fantastic. Really simple, actually, when you describe it like that. But, uh, you know, clearly a, a very complex app to develop. <laughs> um, and uh, happily, your, your Kickstarter was successful. Uh, well, t- tell you what, let's let's go just go uh, right back to the beginning just for a bit. Um, you know, that y- your Kickstarter ran, I think, for about six weeks or seven weeks or something like that. But it was fully funded in about six days, I think, wasn't it? How, how did that feel? <laughs> you know, I'm starting to remember the, the detail for starting to forget the details, but uh, it was very exciting. Um, I remember when it went, I'd been working on the idea for quite a while and then working on the Kickstarter campaign for quite a while. And then the day it went live when it kind of all of a sudden started to take off and the number of backers started increasing and it looked like it was going to be a success. And I was just so exhausted from the process of getting the Kickstarter launched. And I I just had to go for a walk to clear my head and try to (laughs) come to grips with the reality of it. Um, But it was very exciting. And in addition to getting it funded, which was awesome and has has helped me uh, work on it almost full time for a year and a half. Um, it put me in touch with a lot of great people in the, the industry um, and among the film photography community, including you guys. So that's been really nice to have uh, people to talk to who understand what I'm doing and who are working on similar things or related things. And it feels like we're all in this together trying to make uh, film photography a little better for everyone. And long may it continue. I mean, as, as we heard Rachel saying from from Paul talking last week, you know, he spoke of a, a an enormously active and energetic analog photography community. So, you know, to be part of that, um, you know, to be part of that uh, community, Abe must be must feel really special. It does, and it is really exciting. It feels like it's coming at the right time. Um, I've listened to that report from Photokina too, and to see how much is going on with film photography. And um, I was just thinking about a lot of people will use like the hashtag film is not dead. And that almost seems um, like just a statement of something obvious now, where a few years ago that was mm-hmm. a little more radical to say that film is not dead. And, mm-hmm. and now it seems like everyone knows that film is alive and well. Yeah, you're right. It felt felt a bit ambitious there for a while, didn't it? <laughs> it didn't <look> like... <laughs> mm-hmm. So, so okay. So you, you uh, so taking take, taking you back still then. So you know, you you found that you joined a, a community, but you also had the actual product to build, didn't you? Which uh, and uh, which you I know you were part way through it. You 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 had something, didn't you, before you started the Kickstarter? But you know, what what were the changes? Because if I remember rightly, you were hoping that the Kickstarter w- would fund you to actually take 
take a break between uh, other work uh, and focus in on that yeah yes uh and it did uh, i wouldn't say it funded me to live in luxury or anything like that but I, <laughs> i've been i've been working mostly full-time on film lab since then and um i had a working prototype built when it when the kickstarter campaign went live because it was important to me to feel like i could prove that it could be done before i did the kickstarter because i wanted to feel confident that i was going to be able to deliver what i was promising um but it still turned out to be a lot even it's very difficult to estimate how long software is going to take and i i thought i did a good job estimating it in this case but it turned out that i was i was pretty far off as far as the amount of difficulty that it was going to be to build so it took this long just to get to version 1.0 Sure, because this isn't just a question of putting a drop-down box on a on a web page, is it? <laughs> you know, there's there's some pretty serious maths behind what you've developed. There, there are, and um, you know, a lot of software development is kind of just assembling pieces together. There's so much good technology that's available, a lot of it for free or open source, and so there's many projects where you're just kind of taking existing technology as parts, gluing it all together, putting a user interface on top of it, and then you have a finished product. And I kind of imagined that that's how Film Lab was going to be, but this particular project, it just seemed like every single piece of it ended up needing to be built from scratch and and uh, required a deep dive into understanding the technology and the, the history and how um, the col colors work and all the different pieces of it and how to make it run uh, properly at, at full speed on a mobile device. So it was probably the most challenging project I've ever worked on uh, that way. That's, I mean, that, that sounds cra crazy because, I mean, as well as all the technical stuff about implementing it, I mean, the, yeah, the, you, you said color there, and I've always been, uh, or long for a long while, been interested in trying to get to grips with color, but co color's hard, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, color is hard. That's probably the thing that I had struggled the most with in terms of time. I just had a lot to get up to speed on in terms of color. Um, the way color works on film, um, in terms of like the, the light and chemistry of it, and then the way color is represented on computers and different color spaces and conversion between them, um, and the way that the human eye perceives color. And a lot of the technology... Um, with software is all built around making color that mimics the way the human eye works so that things will be, uh, will look good to humans, but that's not exactly the way film works. So to make, to correctly interpret a negative, uh, requires a lot of math and, uh, conversion between the computer's idea of what it's seeing and try to get as close as possible to what the actual, um, dyes recorded in the film were so that you can then convert it properly that's yes i i, don't, I wouldn't even begin to know where where to start with that where where, where to start i mean it's you know so things like that and i guess there's a lot of algorithms involved is there that's got to be a good buzzword surely <laughs> <laughs> yes well honestly um most of my programming career i have not needed to do a lot of math um other than than very basic things and this has been the first project I've worked on where I really had to dust off whatever math skills I used to have that I'd forgotten since school and develop some new ones to, to really understand how to um, model this problem in terms of math. And then um, 
getting it to actually understanding it correctly to be able to properly implement it uh, was difficult. And then, and then getting it to actually run properly on mobile phone hardware and be fast enough um, and give the right results. The challenging part of it is that there's so many conversions that happen between the, the camera capturing some information and then the software translating that um, into a intermediate format and then film lab interpreting it and then figuring out how it should be, how a negative should be converted to a positive and then that getting rendered back to the screen. There's many different steps that it goes through and if any one of those is incorrect, then the result looks terrible. And so uh, a lot of the process has been me kind of learning how to interpret. At first it was just like, nope, that looks bad, but I have no idea why. And now I can <laughs> see something that looks bad and have a better idea of where in the chain things might be going wrong so I can fix it. With the color stuff, um, because accurate color rendition is something which is seems to be an incredibly hard problem to solve with any electronic device. I know you can read great long forum posts on people setting up scanners uh, to try and mm -hmm. get the color they want, especially from um, color slide film and stuff like that. And that, that must only be amplified by the fact that using a smartphone, you're also taking into account, well, how are the screens going to render what you see anyway? How much more of a system did you have to build out than perhaps you originally thought of with that? I mean, is it a case at the moment <laughs> where there's like, you scan it, that's the color you get at the, the end, or have you had to build in more flexibility for people to tweak it? Um, there, that was definitely a case where I had to build a lot more than I thought, and I'm still surprised sometimes. Um, like just the other day I was, I was, um, trying to find a source to download some data. Um, so there's a, a format called XYZ, which is a standard. It's actually kind of fascinating. In this project, it covered so much of the history of photography and uh, working with color. So there's a, a standard that goes back to 1931 from a group called CIE. And they basically did a bunch of scientific tests with humans in a, in a lab and figured out how the average person perceives color and they develop some color standards that are still used um, in computer software today. Um, so on in a computer, you typically have RGB colors. So this much red, this much green, and this much blue make up a color. Um, and then in your, your eye also has a, what they call a tri-stimulus way of perceiving color where there's basically only three colors that the human eye can see, but based on those, it can build all the other combinations of colors in your brain. And, um, so when you look at the, the specs and read about the way that film works, um, it's also based on a tri-stimulus cause there's three layers of the film, but those layers are a little bit different and they all respond to different wavelengths of light, which are not the same as the wavelengths of light that your eye sees, which is what this, uh, the CIE, standards are based on uh i'm kind of going off on a tangent i don't have a great way to explain <laughs> this in a in a short way but uh it's been fascinating to learn about how it all works and to kind of understand the technology that is in color film because it's pretty amazing uh what they've been able to do and how much experience and innovation is built into the films that we use today that they can have these three layers and then beautifully reproduce color um and the same goes for, for color printing. So um, 
my goal all along has been to certainly not exceed, but be able to faithfully reproduce the colors that are supposed to be uh, recorded on film. And I have some nice chromogenic color prints from Blue Moon Camera and Machine in the, the USA. They still do analog color printing. And the colors on them are just gorgeous and to me look look better than what a lot of scanners reproduce. So my goal all along has been to try to model the actual analog process as closely as possible and then hopefully get colors that look like they're really supposed to look. Um, and I think I created a huge amount of work for myself by <laughs> trying to do it that way. And it, <laughs> it may have been a mistake in terms of the amount of time that it's that it's taken to get version 1.0 out, but I, I'm still um, feel hopeful that it was worth it in the end and that the results that, that you're going to get will be uh, faithful to what's supposed to be on the film. Well, there you so, go. I mean, it's, it's struggling and striving for quality, uh, I think you'll probably be in in good hands with the analog photo community there. But they're, they're, I think you're touching on time, if I may. They, it seems to me that there comes a time in 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 the life of most Kickstarter projects where you realise you may not miss the originally intended date, <laughs> or you might you might not hit sorry the originally intended mm-hmm. date. So how, how does that feel when that happens to you? <laughs> oh boy, that's a good question. You know, I think I think the thing is um, you don't really know how long it's going to take until you do it. So um, the analogy that I think I posted on my Kickstarter page uh, that I read once for software development is that it's kind of like exploring a cave. And if you ask someone how long it's going to take to find the bottom of a cave that they've never been down before, uh, they're really just guessing. You know, it's based on maybe some prior experience that they have, but you don't know what you're going to find until you get in there. So with, with Film Lab, I think even when I passed my original deadline, in my mind, I still thought, well, I'm almost there. <laughs> I've got to be getting to the end <laughs> of this be. soon. Yeah. It'll just be it another month like or two. House renovation to me. <laughs> Oh, probably Rachel. a lot of probably a lot of projects are like that yep. Rachel is suffering at the moment with house renovation aren't you Rachel I am um, you know it's the minute you, you start you, you lift up one corner of the carpet and then you, th- you lift up the other and you think oh that's not too bad and then you realize there's dry rot all through that that's the point where you go oh my god <laughs> what did I start so yes. uh, you know like you say you, you can do it based on best case scenario and, and worst case scenario and and previous experience but you just don't ever really know until you're in the middle of it I guess mm-hmm. yeah. It's, yeah it's interesting because I, I you know part of my professional life I do uh, uh, or have over the years done a bunch of projects related to software development and mm-hmm. the end customer never likes it when you tell them you don't know where the bottom of the cave is <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they they perceive that you want them to write they, they, you want them to write a blank check for you to get on with it. But of course, I guess well you you've had to you've had to manage all of that though, Abe, haven't you? You've had to manage the time, you've had to manage the budget, and 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 juggle family life with it as well. Yeah, and I I think I the the main thing I would say on that is that the Kickstarter backers have been very supportive and understanding. They've been a a really nice group of people um, to work with. So that's been. That's been nice. I've appreciated their uh, staying positive, even while when it took a long time. You had um, a beat out fairly quickly, didn't you? Um, I mean, as you said, you know, you missed. I think your original deadline for getting the project out was um, this time last year, and as 
my, and I often, I've probably used this quote on the show before because it's my, just my favourite quote of all times by the author Douglas Adams, writer of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He said, uh, I love deadlines. I love the whooshing noise they make when they fly past. <laughs> um, but you did have uh, a beta out so people could start exploring and see that there was a work in process um, fairly early on. Do you think that that's been key to keeping your 2059 customers from uh, begging for blood? Yeah, it's been very helpful. Um, I think it definitely having testers keeps you a lot more grounded in reality um, because it, Every time people actually use your product, it brings you face to face with the the reality of the current version. Sometimes in a positive way, because you think, um, "Oh, this thing that in my mind is still far from incomplete is actually proving useful to people." Uh, and sometimes in a negative way, like, "Hey, this this uh, feature that I spent months developing on uh, is actually not not a big deal from the user's pr perspective, and they're much more much more interested in getting this other feature done." Um, I think as a person developing it, you kind of have this narrative in your head of like, here's where I came from and here's all the obstacles I've overcome. And then in the future, here are all the things I hope to be able to do. So you look at the app much more in that context and that's a lot of your feelings are connected to that narrative of it. But um, the users just care about what it does today and how well it, it works for them. And so hearing that feedback from them is is very helpful to stay grounded in the reality of where it is now and what needs to happen next. And, and if you had you know, uh, any that have been particularly glowing praise or, 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 or funny ones, or of course there's, there's always the risk that you get some incredibly negative stuff, isn't it? The internet is a cruel place to, uh, to, to, to bear your soul. Well, I think the film photography community is one of the less cruel places on the internet. And I'm, I'm grateful for that because the the feedback has been probably more positive than I deserve sometimes. Um, I think well, an example of that, a current example um, with version 1.0 that's out now and people can buy for iOS is there's very little documentation for the current version because that's something that uh, I did, hadn't prioritized. I was so focused on getting the app ready to ship. And now that it's out, there's a lot of people using it who haven't been following along the whole time and don't know the backstory and don't know how it's supposed to work. And the number one uh, complaint I get from them is, "Where's the, where's the manual? Where's the documentation? Where are the videos showing me how to use this?" So I'm, I'm prioritizing that and working on that right now. Um, I think if you go to the iTunes Store and look at the current reviews, uh, the reviews have been have been very positive, which I'm grateful for. But I think the, I think it's like four stars overall, but the top review is a one star review saying. Where's the documentation? There's no manual for how to use this thing. Uh, oh, really? So I did uh, I did exactly that, actually, just before we, we came on the call here. And uh, I went to the App Store. And the UK App Store is different. I'll tell you, I'll, I'll look at it. Seeing, seeing as you're seeing something different, I'll very quickly look up on my phone the UK App Store view because the top review was definitely a five-star review. Um, and uh, yeah, assuming it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, a stooge of some sort. <laughs> um, oh, I, yeah. there, I thought you were going to say I was the one who left the one star review. <laughs> no, 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 no. Why would I do that? No, I was in on the early beta testers and stuff no, like no. that. So, so let, let me say, so I've got here. Uh, yeah, there is one review on the UK store. Um, it's and it's it's entitled Great Start and it has five stars and it's by somebody who's called Rathked. Uh, 
and it and it says i'm happy to see people still believing in film and its aesthetic by providing such tools saves time to use this app than capturing multiple frames yourself and then using a more advanced desktop app to stack them i would love to see more features to be added in the future so there's a five star review your first one in the uk oh well that's very kind of them. you know i actually didn't even realize that uh different countries had their own set of reviews so that's uh Probably something I should have known before now, but that's good to know. Ah, well, it's, you try, try launching a podcast and trying to track it through iTunes. The analytics you get out of iTunes are um, hmm, <laughs> interesting. But I, I will say to the person who left that one-star review in the U.S. store, you know, they're absolutely right. It's a, it's a completely valid criticism that the documentation is missing. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just take the long view and accept any criticism now as being helpful to FilmLab in, in the long run. And uh, hopefully I can address those issues later. And so that person will be able to leave a better review for the next release. Well, that's, that is very magnanimous of you. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> but let, let's think about the good things, right? What, what, what is it? You know, again, I'm really interested in like your experience of this, because as, as Graham said, this is, this is the first time I think we, on this show, we've had the opportunity to, uh, talk to somebody right at the very beginning of the Kickstarter process and then get them back on the show to talk about actually what it feels like to deliver product. So you know, what, what is it? You, I mean, you you saw, and, and we can all see it now, you can see in the, in the iTunes app store, you can see the Film Lab app. You know, the thing that you made, your baby, that you've put you know, blood, sweat and tears into for the last 18 months or more. Um, yeah, that's got to be great, Yeah. Yeah, it feels good. I was very happy. I felt very relieved to reach that milestone of 1.0. Um, and there's like a with software, it's a it's a little it's maybe a little different in that you know it's never going to be done. <laughs> yeah. So you're just kind of drawing a line to say this is the point where I feel like it makes sense to release it as version 1.0. Um, and it's part of you wants to wait until you could fully build it to the perfect version that you have in your mind that you want it to be. Um, and I think I was falling into that trap a little bit. And then there was a moment this summer where I was just using a film law beta to look at my own negatives on a light table. And I thought, this is really useful to me. Why have I not released this already? So that other people. Can... <laughs> I get, actually, do you know, I'd like, I'd like to ask you about using it. Cause um, yeah, I was, yeah, you, you kindly invited me to be one of the early beta testers, which was great. But one of the things that I've spotted in your news and updates more recently is, is a particular use case, which I just, just thought brilliant. And I think you, you mentioned it yourself actually right at the top of the show, but the, the, the idea that you could put negatives down on uh, a light table, uh, you know, whatever, or, or whatever light source you've got and use the phone. And in real time, the phone will pick out the individual images on, on that strip of negs or whatever kind of negatives you've got. Um, and convert it into proper positive colours, almost like a, an augmented reality kind of thing, I think, is, is, is what I think I've seen from you. That, to me, just sounds awesome, because I have quite a large pile of negatives in a box under my desk. <laughs> and I have no idea how I'd find out what they were or anything like that. So that is a use case that, that really appeals to me. Um, but when I think about all of the, the technology that has to go into that, so you, you, we've talked about the color stuff. Um, 
you know, are you now like some sort of you know AR guru developer? Is is that what's happening here now? Is is, is that how you the, the the thought process and the learning process you've had to go through to get the 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 app to recognise negatives and stuff like that? Yes, uh, I wouldn't say that I'm quite a guru yet, but I'm trying to get up to better speed on it. Um, actually, that's probably the my ultimate goal, and what I believe is possible um, through my current development is to have a very accurate uh, AI engine that can look at any kind of image you give it and recognize film and say, here are the strips of film and then here are the individual rectangles that make up the frames on that strip of film. And this is 35 millimeter and this is 120 and be able to fully uh, uh, analyze it that way. Um, That is not ready yet. So the current (laughs) version is doing a much more simplistic attempt at kind of isolating the film from its background um, so that it can analyze just the parts that are film and that way it can it can give you a good uh, color correction because if you try to take the whole scene into place and there's a backlight and you if it thinks the backlight is part of the film then the colors are going to be way off on the the conversion ah yes yes so so we're a little bit away yet from having um a little option on the side of the screen that says scan with sprockets (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) exactly that's that kind of feature is the the goal and the technology absolutely exists to do that kind of thing um with what's been invented with machine learning over the last few years so i'm working on you have to you have to train it with a lot of data so um, I'm, I'm working on kind of building a model that can do that. But basically the way it works is that you just, uh, give a, give a computer enough samples and then it tries like billions of different algorithms that it makes up in its own head to possibly identify the difference. And then it can test it against the data and eventually it figures out, uh, what the best way to do it is. So it would be extremely slow and time consuming to build it yourself. And so people have figured out that it's faster to just let a computer uh, figure out the algorithm by, by brute force. So um, I may or may not add an option to a future version of Film Lab that allows people to opt into sharing some of their data to train Film Lab to get smarter, or I may just try to do it myself with the data that I have on hand. But that's, um, that's the solution that I think will give the best results. I've tried quite a few manual algorithms and they will work well for certain cases of film, but there's always, um, there's always flaws or, or types of film that they struggle with, especially when you get into thin black and white negatives or things like that, it gets difficult to pick out the frames accurately. So I'm still working on something that can do that, um, to a higher rate of precision. You know, I was I was going to ask you about the back end, um, and because because of course if you were Google, we'd already have accepted terms and conditions that says you can suck all our data in and do whatever you want. <laughs> and if of course right. if you were also Google, you would have all of the compute resources you needed to go through billions of images and and refine your you know and, and let the AI refine the algorithms as, as necessary. Um, I'm guessing that version 1.0 doesn't do that, so you must have trained it yourself, did you? Yeah, version 1.0 has just um, what you might call hand-coded algorithms. So it's it's just based on um, patterns that I've programmed in that do a decent enough job most of the time identifying film. But that's going to get get better and smarter in the future with machine learning. But the data won't come from uh, it won't come from anybody's phone without you opting into it. There's 
there's no data collection or anything like that um, that's built into FilmLab. Everything is just stored locally on your phone and never gets sent up to a server. Well, okay, that, that that's probably a good thing for all those people that use film photography to take unsightly photos that they shouldn't be taking to a lab. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I actually really, I really don't want to be in the position of storing anybody else's photos for that and other reasons. Yes, yes, I can imagine that quite hairy territory quite quickly. <laughs> okay so so Mm -hmm. so we can we can safely assure our listeners that um yeah we're not stealing their photographs photographs by using the app and it's all it's all their data and it stays with them um which which is good has anybody asked you that question actually because i've got a i'm kind of interested in what's that yeah what what has been the reaction of the community what sort of questions do you get asked um that's a good question well this is i'll tell you guys this is the this right now is the first um, press I've done of, of any kind since Phil Bob 1.0 came out. So uh, you guys have the scoop on this. You're wow, the first... global exclusive. Thank you very yeah. much. <laughs> You're the first one ask, asking these hard-hitting journalistic questions. Oh, well, I'll let Graham have a go in a minute. I'm sure he's chomping at the bit. <laughs> so, so well, let's, well, let's do that now, shall we, Graham? <laughs> what have you been holding back as questions for Abe here? Uh, well, I mean, I, there's lots of things, I suppose, really. Um, I think the thing you were just asking is a really good question um, about you've had the beta test out now for a, a good long time and you've had lots of people hammering against it. Um, and I'm sure, because I mean, we've seen it in other Kickstarters, you, that even when the product is a fairly straightforward thing, people will be going, well, can it do this? Can it do that? Can it? And and especially with something like an app, I'm sure there must be a number of things that people have been asking for um, or would like to appear in the app. Um, what have been the most commonly asked for things? Or, and what things are you, I mean, 1.0 is generally only the start of the journey for a lot of these things, mm-hmm. <laughs> although, although you may wish otherwise. Um, what, are, what are the community particularly looking for? What is the next priority for you to get up and in the gap? No, that's, that's, definitely the case that this is a 1.0 where there's a there's a lot more to do um so i certainly have things that are in my mind one thing that came came up during kickstarter which i really hadn't foreseen but that is in version 1.0 is being able to capture a proof sheet um i was thinking much more in terms of individual images but so many people said oh it'd be great to just be able to have a quick digital proof sheet so i did build that into 1.0 and people are using it which is which is nice to see um i think Going forward, probably the number one feature that's not included right now that I that I will be adding in the future is the ability to open an image that you took with a different camera. So for people who do like a macro lens on their mirrorless camera or their DSLR, being able to import the photo of the negative into Film Lab and process it. Um, I'm kind of figuring out uh, going forward there there's going to be something called Film Lab Pro, and I'm not quite sure if that's going to be a separate product or just like a an add-on upgrade that you can buy, but it's going to be um, kind of tuned to the features that people who are really serious about film photography care about, whereas the basic version might be a little bit more user-friendly for people who aren't um, quite as involved in the technical aspects of photography and just want a good-looking scan that they can put on Instagram. So um, I'm kind of waiting to add that feature until I get all the 
bugs worked out of the basic image processing because I want to make sure that uh, if you're going to use FilmLab to convert an image that you took the time to to scan with your macro lens and your your nice camera, I want it to be like the highest quality output. And there's a few few more improvements to make before I think it's quite ready. Um, one other thing that that's come up that I hadn't thought about at all is people are very interested in um, sharing their proof sheets on Instagram. And one thing people have been doing that I didn't even consider is they'll take a video of their proof sheet. So they'll, I don't even know how they're doing it. Some of them I, I think are using a second camera. Some of them are hooking their camera up to their computer, but they'll put a Instagram story up of like a screen capture of a video from film lab as they move it around viewing the images on their proof sheet that they just developed. So that might end up being a built-in feature is the ability to record a little video of yourself viewing your proof sheet. And that's not something I would have ever thought of without um, seeing the way it's being used in the wild. That's, that's, uh, it's, that's awesome, isn't it? When, when people take hold of something like that and invent new use cases for it, um, you know, that, that's, that's really exciting stuff, actually. It's, it is. It's, it's neat to see. It, it is. I mean, yeah, it's, uh, it's a long time ago now, but uh, I guess we probably most of, most of the four of us will remember at least that, that um, there never used to be any such things as, as hashtags. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and graham still wishes there was no such thing as hashtags because you because you love hashtags don't you mate i'm a huge fan <laughs> yeah hashtag count me out yeah hashtag graham really doesn't like hashtags but <laughs> but uh although although we do we do get quite a lot of fun with our hashtag shoot film be nice don't we rach we do we do and uh it's been it, it's funny what what you were just saying there age you know actually seeing it out in the wild is uh, is interesting how other people take something that you create and 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 use it in different ways is uh, I think kind of fascinating and mm-hmm. um, uh, one of um, one of the people who is listening to the show who we know um, just talking about shoot film be nice is the hashtag that um, you know came up with God it was just before Christmas I think last year mm-hmm. or something yeah uh, yeah year before last. yeah yeah before oh my goodness it's <laughs> it's been so long now um but um uh, Chris Maynard he um went and actually made a t-shirt with it on and and then took uh, a series of lovely analog shots of the model wearing the sh- wearing the t-shirt with it and then literally like the next day I had um uh, I was tagged in something from Steve Lloyd Chroma Camera, who was saying I literally just used it for the ten thousandth time or something as well. Which is uh, not him so, personally. No, no, not him personally. Times. No, I don't think so. <laughs> um, but but you know that kind of thing. You go, oh my god, you know this thing that you sort of like set up and send out there. You you're never quite sure where it's going to end up um, or what it's going to do in the end. Um, and I think Abe, you were talking uh, earlier before we started recording about how it's been odd um but also good watching your mum use the use the app and and how she sort of like got on with it and and the things that we as humans go oh how does this work and then have a go at it <laughs> and how that might be different from your initial intention perhaps yes yes uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's always very humbling to watch someone else try to use your app that you think is user friendly <laughs> and then uh, the ways that they struggle with it so yeah my parents came up to visit last weekend and my mom brought an envelope with some old negatives and she said you can show me how to use your your new app and i brought some negatives that we can look at together so we put them on a light table and uh she was able to 
scan some with her with her iPad and put a photo on Instagram from uh, my sister back in the '90s with some friends. So that was pretty fun. Pretty fun to see. Um, but also, I definitely added several things to my to-do list from, <laughs> from watching her use it and the things that she struggled with. One of so one of the things I'm interested in, Abe, uh, and, and I'm sure Rachel is too, because as you've just listed off a load of things from community feedback that you want to add in, um, you talked about uh, the probably never-ending um, journey into colour rendition. Um, I mean, I would imagine that that is a, a, you know, something that you will never get to a point where you're 100% happy, and every time a new film comes out, you go, oh, no. Um, <laughs> but how do you balance up implementing uh, or getting into trying to implement all of this new stuff with also needing to get the android version out the door because I, I would imagine that the f the more fun thing is trying to get new stuff in the program that's working as opposed to trying to get uh, an android version which is then notoriously difficult because there's no there's so many different um uh, devices out there with different specs and different mm -hmm. um how are you juggling all of that yeah that is uh it's funny i was just talking to my wife about that about that today um well i, I guess i would say first of all in my mind um the the goal has always been to have the ios version and the android version um up to the same speed and ready to go at the same time my, I hope my kids are playing outside the door. So if you hear <laughs> screaming, just to ignore it. It's uh, just children doing something crazy out there. Um, so the core of FilmLab is written in C++, which is a, a very cross-platform language. And this, uh, since the early days, since I think last August, the core has always run uh, on the desktop, actually, and also on iPhones and also on Android. Um, and... As development was taking a long time, I kind of realized that I was slowing myself down more because I was just trying to figure things out and get the basics working. And every time I made a change to the core, I would have to update the UI on iOS and then update it on Android and test on both platforms. And it was just making things go uh, twice as slow and it wasn't getting us closer to version 1.0 for anyone. So um, it was hard. It was a very hard decision to make, but I had to say, guys, we just need to get one, get to the point where this core technology is working and then I can finish out the apps for both versions. So to kind of simplify my life, I just updated the iOS version for probably the last uh, nine months or, or so um, until we got to version 1.0. But the nice thing is now I, it's not like I have to rebuild the entire app for Android because that would be very uh, discouraging and would not be fun <laughs> to have to yeah. just... 18 months in, you're like, I've got to start over again. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. No, so so the Android piece is basically um, interfacing with the camera hardware, which that piece is maybe 80% done. There's still some bugs on certain models I need to fix. Um, and then there's building out the UI, so adding the toolbars and things like that, which is pretty straightforward as far as software development goes. Um, I, I don't think there will be a lot of unexpected things that come up there. Um, and then the other piece is actually rendering the output to the screen. So on iOS, I use an, an Apple technology called Metal, which lets you use the built-in 
image processing hardware in your phone to very quickly render a lot of data to the screen so it can um, do like film conversion effects in real time. And on Android, um, I'll use OpenGL, which is a cross-platform graphics engine. Um, so I'll have to get that piece up and running, but I do expect it to come together pretty quickly. So um, 1.0 for Android should be out by the end of this year. I say that you guys can take that for what it's worth based on my track record. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, that is what I currently believe to be true. All uh, we want for Christmas is no, I'm joking. <laughs> no, no, it's the, the yeah, it, it it must be yeah. I can imagine with all those variables, it must be so yeah. much harder trying to get it consistent across the Android platforms. So, yeah, well well done for persevering. As I mean, as as an iPhone user, um, yeah, I I I applaud your endeavour, um, but won't ever get to experience the <laughs> the output. But I'm sure Rachel and Graham would be very very pleased if you, if you continue with that and 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 get it out there for everybody. Everybody, uh, as well a lot of people i'm sure yeah and i think it's, i think in worldwide in different countries there's different ratios of people using iphones or android devices and mm. um one thing that's been interesting to see with film lab 1.0 is that um you kind of get a sense of where the most film users are in the world mm -hmm. and i think right now the second most sales by country after the u.s has been japan oh, so that's okay. kind of I know there's, I know film is alive and well there. Um, and then there's a lot of sales in the UK and in Europe. Um, so it'll be interesting to see when the Android version comes out, how that breaks down. Cause I think in some countries there is more, more or less of a population of iPhone users and probably, um, having the Android version available will, will definitely open it up to more audiences of people. So it is important to me that, that I do that. Um, I know, it might think, it might it might appear like the android version has not been my priority but there's actually if i had just built it as an ios app it could have been probably done a lot quicker mm -hmm. and the the um constraints of making it cross platform have made it take longer but the result is i think going to be more than worth it and that it will be available in more more places and actually for other platforms too even beyond mobile but that's a that's a story for another day. <laughs> I was just thinking about what you said before about um, uh, uses other than what you'd originally intended it for. And and uh, again, just before we started recording, I think you talked about how um, there was actually quite a large proportion of people who obviously have their boxes of, of um, film negatives and slides and things just sort of in the attic or, you know, people who aren't actively members of the analog photography community, shall we say, mm -hmm. that it's become actually that's a, a massive part of, a, of an audience base of, of a purchasing base who, um, who potentially will be wanting to use your app. Um, so just trying to get to that different audience and let them know that it's a technology that they could potentially buy and use and what have you, um, obviously will open up, you know, a lot of other doors to, to you, um, with that. Um, and I guess part of that is also thinking about that balance between iOS and Android and, and, and what those people, what that part of the audience, that demographic are likely to have as well. Right. Yeah, it's worked out. I think it's worked out very well um, for version 1.0 that I have I've not tried to get a lot of press and mm -hmm. it's just kind of spreading word of mouth. Yeah. Um, and sales have been quite good um, despite that. But it's nice to sort of 
start out in the film community where these are very savvy people who are using mm -hmm. it. Um, yeah. A lot of them have experience with different kinds of scanning or other methods of digitization so they can kind of figure out how Film Lab fits into their workflow and um, they're willing to put up with some some um, difficulty in using it or some pieces of the user interface that are still a little bit clunky because it's just helpful to them in comparison to what they're using already. But it needs more polish and refinement before it's ready for, you know, your aunt who hasn't hasn't shot film in 30 years and has a box of old negatives in her closet uh, to be able to use it and have it be a pleasant experience for her. So I'm kind of, I'm almost, when I look at the sales figures, I almost am afraid that they're going to take off too early because I'm hoping to have some time to refine it in response to user feedback and smooth out the rough issues and get it into a more polished product before it starts to get widespread adoption. How's that been? Because, I mean, you, you said that the Kickstarter was really what gave you the ability to develop it as far as it's got now. Um, and it was a very successful Kickstarter, but nonetheless, the amount of money that you made from it was only going to get you so far. Um, as you really heard, you have a, a family that needs feeding and, and selfish stuff like that. Um, and now you're, you've got the 1.0 version and you're in this new ecosystem, you're on the App Store. Um, how has that been? It sounds as though the product is, is taking off well, but I mean, how is it? I, I have, as we've repeatedly shown with the podcast, uh, we, we have no idea how one becomes popular on, on an, um, a phone <laughs> environment. Um, how have you found making that transition to being a, a, a product that's out there to buy and, and getting it noted by people? Uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm doing either, so I don't know if I can give <laughs> any advice on that. Um, it's It's gone surprisingly well. I mean, if you look in the app store, um, it'll, when you look, I don't know if this is country specific, but when you view the film lab page, it'll say, um, if it's in the top 100 in its category, it'll say, you know, this is number 60 in photography paid apps or whatever it is. And it's kind of been bouncing around the, the top 100 for the 10 days that it's been out. So that's um, great. That's Brilliant. good. Yeah. That I've been very impressive. I've been happy with that. Um, and I do think it has, you know, like I like I said, there's part of me that that doesn't want to see it become too successful too soon because I think the it's just natural that the wider of an audience that it reaches, um, it's going to be reaching kind of less savvy and more beginner people, um, and some of those are going to struggle more with how to use it. So it's like the the less people that use it, probably the the more stars it will have on on uh, the app store and the more people who use it, the more negative reviews it's going to get because of lacking documentation or mm. not being as easy to use as it could be or thing, things like that. So hopefully that'll find a healthy balance and it will grow at a, at a good pace that I can keep up with that as a one person operation. That's, yeah. I can imagine that's going to get crazy, crazy, crazy. But, uh, you know, uh, often what you see these days is the, you know, especially with, um, you know, independent ventures like, like yours is that actually the community of users helps out with the support. So, you know, maybe, a uh, the, you know, a, a forum or, or websites that, you know, specifically allow communities, you know, to, to, uh, to, to rally round. Cause I, I bet there'd be a whole bunch of, uh, early users who are that keen tight community who'd be happy to help other people up the learning curve if you know, otherwise you could get swamped i guess couldn't you yeah that's true and actually um that's probably been one of the 
other challenges of this whole project is just keeping up with user support. And um, I'm sure I could have done better with that. I, I did set up a forum, which I've done a terrible job at, uh, at gardening and maintaining. And there have been a few users who have been extremely helpful and generous in, um, in volunteering their, their time and posting about every new update and uh, answering other people's questions. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, my dream, if I ever made enough money that I could hire someone is I would hire like a community support person <laughs> and then I could keep my head in my little development bubble <laughs> building, building cool new stuff and uh, someone else could make sure we had great documentation and everyone's questions were being answered and that every everyone was getting quick responses when they sent in a customer support email. But um, mm. for now, I'm sorry, everyone. I'm uh, You're just dealing with me, so I'm... I'm doing the best I can, and apologies for the the times that I'm slow on my responses. Well, do you know what? The best that you're doing is it, you're, it is really good, so I wouldn't be apologetic for that. Well, that's kind of you. Thank you. Um, I, I know you were kind of hedging around this a bit, but um, over the last year, um, I mean, especially, you know, we talk about Kickstarters that are out there, and one that's highly relevant to what you're doing is Hamish's um, Pixelator. Mm-hmm. Uh and increasingly, um, not just because of the color, but because of detail and sharpness, um, more and more people seem to be looking to um, ways of digitizing their negatives, which aren't necessarily with scanners. It seems that more and more people are choosing to use their um, uh, digital cameras to digitize negatives rather than scanners as a choice rather than mm-hmm. a necessity. Um, and as a consequence of that, it does seem like maybe having a uh, a desktop app would be a supremely useful thing. Because I know, obviously, you can stick it into Photoshop and flip it and, and adjust curves and adjust all this. But um, mm-hmm. And you said that you have been writing this in C++. So it is a relatively easy to transfer thing. I mean, is that going to be the next step once you get some breathing room? Um. It might be. I'm, I'm not trying to be too um, secretive about it. I just honestly don't know. I haven't kind of quite figured it out yet. Um, I would like to do that. And in, in general, I guess my sort of big goal or my high level goal is to have some nice and versatile software for converting film to digital that can be used in, in multiple applications. Um, that's kind of why I started, I started thinking about the idea for writing some scanning software, probably like five or six years ago when I bought an Epson V700, I think it was. And I was using some desktop apps to scan my film. And I was like, this software just feels like it was built in the nineties and it's clunky and (laughs) it's painful to use. And there's gotta be a nicer interface that you could build using all the technology that's become available since then um so yeah i don't i don't really know but i i definitely want to support that case of scanning with a digital camera i have a uh original sony a7 and an old nikon uh nikkor 55 millimeter 2.8 i think macro lens and uh that's what i use when i want to do a really high quality scan and I think even more than res- well, resolution is great and, and dynamic range is fantastic compared to what you can get out of 
scanners unless you're paying for something really high end uh, for scanning slides and black and white film. You can get such good results. So ultimately, yes, I would I would love to build desktop software, and it'll just be a, a question of uh, when I'm able to get that onto the to-do list, I guess. Mm, interesting, interesting stuff. Well, uh, so actually, can I can I throw one more thing out while sure. we're talking about you know future ideas? This is uh this is what I would really this is something kind of near and dear to me is that I have this belief that in the future uh, when you send in film to the lab, they will give you back a high res scan of the negative and then you will convert it yourself using software. I think that's uh, I think that would be awesome because it gives you the creative control over how you want your print to look, your digital print, um, and it lets you reprocess the same photo in the future if you want to change it. Like if you want to make a lower contrast or a higher contrast black and white print, if you have a scan of the negative, you can do that. But if you just have a JPEG of the positive, then you know all those decisions have been made for you and um, not all the information is there. So I would love to find, uh, someday in the future, I would love to partner with a lab or with some photo labs and try to build a way for them to deliver scans to their customers as negatives and then have the or it could be as a positive but the negative data would still be there so the customer could change the develop settings on it that's a, yeah that'd be awesome that's almost like a, a an equivalent of a digital raw file isn't it in in some way so you can you know, it, none of it's baked in yeah exactly so you've clearly been thinking about this as you've been going along. So you know, in, in the sidelines, I can imagine, you know, late at night struggling over some AI algorithm or something like that, suddenly <laughs> having a brainwave of a new thing that it could do. And I guess you, I guess you've got a fairly long backlog of stuff like that now, have you? Yes, I think I'll be working on it for a long time. Actually, my, my kids have been saying this whole time, when will film be done? Because I know that, that that's what I'm working on. And I'm out in my garage late at night. Uh, after we've put them to bed working. Um, and so I've been kind of explaining like, well, kids, let me tell you about what version 1.0 means. <laughs> You'll inherit version 5.6 and it'll be your responsibility. Take that on to your children. I'm because I, I know we've mentioned a couple of times that the, the Kickstarter was a necessity for you to, to get the breathing space to do this, but taking on board the Kickstarter, any of these Kickstarters, has a lot of baggage attached to it because you have, you know, I said, 2,059 customers and and the work that needed to be done to keep them updated, keep in touch with people, um, and to make sure that you do keep them happy as much as you can, even when things don't work out as you'd originally hoped, as you pass deadlines and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, I would imagine it has to add a degree of pressure to everything you're doing, as well as add the amount of work. Um, but that said, if you had another project, if there was something else that you wanted to tackle, would you go back to Kickstarter again? Uh, I guess I would say it depends on the project. I mean, Kickstarter does have a lot of overhead, like you you mentioned. Um, I think in all in our all of our ideal worlds, we would just have tons of money in our bank accounts to pursue whatever projects we wanted and we would never have to get funding. Um, I think anytime you need to get funding, there's some kind of trade-off, whether it's uh, 
you're going to take on a loan and pay interest or get an investor and give them a part of your company or get a Kickstarter community. And then you're promising that you're going to give them updates and respond to their messages and um, everything that's in, involved with that. So it's just uh, choosing what's going to work best. And I would say it worked out well to do the Kickstarter this time. And it attracted a great community of people who I'm very grateful for. Um, I'm not sure I would, I wouldn't be in a rush to do it again. I wouldn't make that decision lightly because now I do know the, the complications involved of, uh, of using Kickstarter funding. Mm -hmm. do, so have you looked, sorry, carry on. No, no, go, go for it. Well, no, it's because especially last year, um, uh, which was when we had, sorry, Rachel, I was wrong. It wasn't the year before it was shoot film. Be nice. It was last Christmas. Um, but especially last year, last uh, October, November, um, last year, there were a lot of Kickstarters that were funded and uh, well, most of them were funded. There were a couple that didn't, but did you, were you looking at those at this point, not only well into the project, but past your own um, target date? And was there, were you looking at them going, oh boy, good luck, <laughs> good luck <laughs> chaps and chaffesses. Um how, yeah, how did you feel seeing it all kicking off last year? Well, to be honest, I wasn't paying super close attention because I was just like heads down working on my own thing every day. Um, but it, in general, I definitely, I look at any Kickstarter and just try to think about how difficult it's really going to be. Um, I have so much respect for anyone who successfully pulls off a hardware-based Kickstarter because to me, that's like incredible that you're able to get up to speed with not only designing the thing, but getting the whole manufacturing chain figured out and getting them shipped to everybody. And um, like, I think Kamish is doing great with his pixelator. He seems to be really running a tight ship with that project. I've very, been very impressed with him, but some of the more ambitious ones, um, I wouldn't want to try to do it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Anybody out there who's trying to think about doing a Kickstarter, <laughs> it's hard, huh? Yeah, it's uh, it is. It's hard to make. It's hard to make something new. But um, the Kickstarter, I think, for the as I said before, for the most part, um, the the people who back a Kickstarter seem to be very savvy. They're generous. A lot of people. Something I didn't realize is that when people back your project on Kickstarter, they get to choose their funding level. Um, so I mean, you've probably seen it if you've submitted a Kickstarter. So there's a little box, so it'll say like. You know, the, this reward level requires $20, but you can pledge $20 or more. And quite a lot of people pledge more than they need to, to, to get the thing that they've been really? promised as a reward, which is so generous of them. And it was really, really nice. That's really interesting to hear. I would never have guessed that was a, was a thing, but that's, that's really interesting to hear. Mind you, I think you, you kickstarted at a good time because you were earlier than the the main surge um that came through uh, oh, i don't spoil it graham i think yeah, this is a, this is a good story of the milk of human kindness this is it's like don't <laughs> yeah, no, this well, there's, there, there definitely seems to be some kickstarter fatigue at this point <laughs> which is not to say that a that a project can't be successful if you build something that's original and that people want yeah, yeah. Well, I tell you, I tell you what. I'm, I'm glad it's been. I, I know it's been a, a challenge and a bit of a roller coaster, but I'm glad that overall it's been a, a positive experience for you. And I, I'm, I'm, yeah, uh, 
truly uh, truly awesome that you've you've managed to get through this and and last we spoke to you uh, 18 months ago you were just in the in the thick of figuring out what was going on <laughs> with, yeah. with, with with the uh, the the awesome responsibility of actually having had a kickstarter funded <laughs> and uh, and now we've got product and not only that but some of the ideas you've shared for a, a product roadmap um sound awesome i'm looking forward looking forward to uh, to seeing some, some of that stuff so um yeah i, I guess is there yeah we pre- as we aim to wrap this up i mean i can say to everybody you've all got to go to filmlabapp.com and register um, or, or even better if you're a, an ios user go to the app store and buy the app um because it's available now and we can get started on using it are there any last uh, any last nuggets uh, uh, any any more advice for for people like hamish or any more advice for for uh, you know uh, film photographers or, or backers of kickstarters oh boy um I don't know if I have that much, that much wisdom to share. You know, I, I guess it's, it was pretty, a pretty neat feeling to see film Love 1.0 come out because it was like three or so years ago. I was, uh, we were in the process of moving and I had, uh, a very minimal setup and I was developing my own black and white film in the bathroom and then attempting to post them online without a scanner. Um, somewhat unsuccessfully uh <laughs> you know really struggling with it and i was trying to use a macro lens with my phone and so it's just nice to see that like now it exists to take something from like i wish this thing existed and now it does exist even though it still you know has bugs and has features that are, are missing and things that i want to do but uh it's gotten that far so it was it was not easy and i think i said before we started like i feel like with creative projects, if you knew how hard anything was going to be, you would never do it. <laughs> but uh, sometimes it's it's a blessing to not know what you're getting into. All right. Well, fair, fair enough. That I think that there's, there's words of wisdom there. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think too hard. Just go ahead and do it, and one day you'll produce something amazing. Well, yeah. yeah that, Abe, maybe that's the lesson. Maybe that's the lesson. Well, do you know what, Abe? Um, thanks ever so much for for coming to talk to us, uh, uh, and thank you for the glo- thank you again for the the global exclusive. Uh, the first people to interview you following the successful <laughs> launch of of version 1.0 of the Film Lab app. Um, awesome stuff awesome mm-hmm. stuff and um you know everybody who's listening go out and buy the app <laughs> but don't get your grandmother to go and buy it just yet just you buy it and wait until um the uh, usability improvements will come along the line over the next few months before you give it to your grandmother because she may struggle a bit i and think it just and... needs congratulations on not being a broken human being after getting 1.0 oh. well. <laughs> i think i think that too i think that too yes it's, it's and congratulations you. on making something that's super useful for a lot of people in our industry it's great thank you thanks rachel yeah and please uh, i would say to anyone who, who tries it let me know um the feedback i'm getting is really really helpful to see what's uh important to people and how i can make it better uh sooner than later so if you do buy it and and try it out please let me know what you think and and how it can be improved okay excellent excellent well wow blimey um so uh here's here's the thing um after after all of that um i feel like i've been on a bit of a roller coaster just listening to the stories but <laughs> but after after all of that normally at this point in the show uh we would go for a quick break and then come back and talk about all sorts of other stuff but we're not going to do that this week 
Um, so I'm not going to say the things I normally say, like, oh, Abe, please stay for the rest of the show. Of course, you must stay for the rest of the show. Anyway, it's just that that's going to be a lot shorter than it is usual for usually. So um, uh, what I would do, though, is I'm going to ask, I don't know, uh, top of my head, Rachel. Mm. So, Rachel, why are we uh, what, what's happening next? Why, why is it that we're not going to go for a break? Because we're actually going to close the show in a minute. Um, and and right. what is it that's new that we're trying for the first time? So, yes, so we thought, you know, a change is good as a rest and all that. And uh, it would be good for us to, you know, shake things up a little bit on Sunny 16. So instead, what we're doing is we're creating a second show uh, in a week, which uh, sort of gave the working title of Backing Paper to uh, kind of like our follow up show, uh, a place for us to talk about all the other things that we might normally have added on to the the bit after the break um because it had become quite a long show quite a large sort of chunk of time that we were asking people to listen for um and we thought it might be kind of nice to split it up a little bit give give our listeners sort of like a little low fat um bite-sized chunk of sunny 16 loveliness <laughs> uh, <laughs> twice a week instead so um so yeah so we're actually splitting up the show to do it as um the main show with a guest like uh, somebody like Abe who's come along today uh, or or perhaps just a chat amongst the three of us and then a second show which should be released uh, a few days later which will cover all of the other parts of it uh, that we haven't had chance to talk about in the one monster show because they were starting to get to the sort of like two and a half hour uh, long <laughs> versions and at that point I think we all realized that uh, we were starting to break each other a little bit perhaps um, <laughs> I was I was certainly getting a little bit broken yes <laughs> yeah we I didn't like to say it was obviously but uh, you know it's uh, it's definitely <laughs> something that we were all I think we were generally genuinely we're all a bit conscious of making sure that um you know we wanted to keep it light and fresh and and um and hey, it's not we getting all... any younger uh, i'm not i'm not getting any yet no you're right but, th- but thank you for describing yes. it Rach. yeah i i love the fact that you've used the word bite size in conjunction with the sunny 16 podcast for the yeah. first time ever you know it's it's good it's good to try things anew and invent and um and adapt and be flexible i'm sure abe would say all of these same things as well so <laughs> well i tell you what um yeah i tell you what, so uh so this new show which as you say is it t- comes with the, the currently the the working title of the sunny 16 backing paper um so uh now we have um yeah we are uh in a place uh right now that's going to go out on monday i think is it graham mm-hmm uh, yeah, probably. Probably. Yeah. Right. So, probably. I'll, I'll probably um, try and put it up Sunday night, so it'll be out on Monday. Okay. That's the plan. And it'll be on the same feed, so listeners, you don't need to do anything else to to get this. Um, it is going to be the the same as you know, same feed as always. Uh, just an extra show uh, per week. Um, but just before we close, though, because uh, we are uh, we are going to have a a, a news item. Um, uh, or something, I think, um, because right in front of me, um, uh, it, uh, as I'm talking, appearing on the show notes in front of me in enormous colourful writing is a, is, is a note about the least secret Santa in the world. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure we didn't miss this. Um, this is an update on uh, the emulsive secret Santa. Um, now, when we had Em and Iceland on a few weeks ago, uh, we talked about the... Um, 
community causes aspect of the Secret Santa that is being done for the first time this year, uh, whereby uh, anybody taking part in the Secret Santa, which we should all be doing, everyone should have signed up for Secret Santa because it's a lot of fun, um, but anybody who has signed up can nominate somebody for the Community community Causes Award, uh, for want of a better word, um, whereby uh, the sponsors of the Emulsive Secret Santa are going to give a load of really useful, awesome photos photographic stuff um to people who are working to bring photography analog photography to people um now this was due to end uh, uh you can still sign up for secret center until the end of this month i think but the um end date for the nominations for the, the community causes was the end of september this has now been extended until the end of october Ooh. um uh, so one wants to make sure everyone was aware of that and the other thing is because i know that i always find it difficult to think of um uh, people who could be nominated an important distinction that's worth knowing is that this doesn't have to be a charity this doesn't have to be somebody who is it doesn't have to be a not-for-profit so if you know somebody who's doing workshops or day courses or i don't know cyanotype education stuff like that i can't think of anybody off the top of my head who would fit within that but if you know somebody who's doing that kind of thing or a group of people it could be a community dark room um could be anything like that but, but basically a group or an individual that is working to advance and promote analog photography, uh, then please do go to uh, Emulsive Secret Santa, go, go on to the Emulsive website, do a search there. Uh, and if you signed up for the Secret Santa, then nominate somebody um, because otherwise they'll miss out on the opportunity. And um, it could be a super useful uh, influx of great materials gears photographic gear um all sorts of really cool stuff for uh, a, a group or an individual that could make really good use of them so please do get a nominate wouldn't you agree rach that sounds awesome yeah and uh, great to know that there's uh, a, an extended date on that uh, and thanks also for clarifying the 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 um point that it didn't need to be an actual charity because i think that a lot of people were getting a little bit stuck <laughs> over yeah, that. Over that. So I, I, I didn't. I um, had to clarify it for me. I was like, oh, well, we probably ought to let other people know. That makes know. sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all good. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Abe, you signed up for the Emulsive Secret Santa? I am. Uh, I am not. I'm, I'm probably, unfortunately, going to be in my developer bubble for another few few months here and not be as tuned into what's going on in the the larger film community. Android Android is the uh, I'm going to try to not not ship anything before Android. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. So, so I think we'll give you a let off actually, because you know, although Secret Santa is a great part, a great thing to participate in, you are busy for the benefit of the film photography community. <laughs> so, I think we'll give you a pass, a pass on that one. Okay, all right. Well, thanks for that note, uh, Graham. Another, another quick note then is we've had an email from Hillary Clark. Hillary uh, sent us an email at least twice a year, um, which is a good thing because she reminds us of Polaroid Week. Um, and so this time we're talking about the Autumn Polaroid Week, uh, which runs, I think, October the 21st to the 26th. Uh, and uh, as always, um, uh, the uh, the rules are uh, available on uh, Flickr. 
Um, uh, the, and Polaroid Week actually, although they have uh, uh, f- um, Instagram groups and uh, I think a little bit on Twitter as well, um, they mm-hmm. they do uh, run uh, the main group for Polaroid Week is the Flickr group, uh, and I believe at the moment it is called Roid Week 2018 is the group that you need to post your Polaroids to. Uh, have I got that right, Graham? That all sounds very believable to me. Right. And the hashtag Polaroid Week would be the one that you'd use for Instagram or on Twitter. Oh, well. uh, yes. Thank you, Rach. Yes. No uh, uh, thank you, Rach. And thank you, Hilary, for bringing that to our attention. Always very timely. Thank you very much. And then um, again, uh, as I as I try and get through the show notes, bits more Ricky for the pin on the bottom. And we got an email from Stig, I believe. Yeah, well, it was just because it happened to um, run on from the, the 21st to the 26th of October being Polaroid week. Um, and Hillary in her email had said, yes, Graham, I know it's not quite a full week, but after six days of Polaroid partying, everyone needs the extra day to recover. And I thought, well, it led quite nicely on to the fact that that meant the 27th was the day to recover. And Stig had sent us an email um, basically saying that's the date for the Mersey meetup happening in Liverpool. So uh, I just wanted to add that in. So that that would be a nice recovery day. So you've got your Polaroid week, 21st to the 26th of October, and then the recovery day would be a little Mersey meetup uh, photo walk. So if you're interested in that, it's happening in Liverpool um, and you can sign up at photowalk.me for that. So that'd be lovely. Okay, great. Well, brilliant. Um, uh, so, some news items. There are lots of things going on. Um, <laughs> um, and if you've talked about, if we've got that many news items for this show, I can't imagine how many news items we're going to have for the new backing paper show. So I, I shall uh, look forward to, to listening to that because I have not been part of recording it. So um, uh, it's going to be interesting to to see uh, how that how that works for us all. <laughs> <laughs> we blasted through it, didn't we, Graham? It was, uh, uh, great speed of knots. <laughs> I prefer that if that works. Um, as a heads up for listeners, because we because we've already done the first, which won't be out on Monday. Um, it will be our first look at the um, first few entries for the Cheap Shots Challenge fine arts we've got come in. So um, there's been some great pictures come in. We talk about those and. If listeners want to get ahead of the game, those pictures will be up on the sunny16podcast.com website, so you can start looking at them if you are desperate for inspiration, as I am. I suspect you are as well. <laughs> yes, <Absolutely. may> po- <laughs> possibly. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I think that that brings us uh, brings us to the show. Uh, it brings us to the show. See, I failed <laughs> to close the show on the first oh. sentence of the close of the show. Um, Abe, do you want to have a go? At cl- Abe, do you want to have a go at closing the show? <laughs> Abe still there? <laughs> no, no, Abe, Abe doesn't want to close. I am still here. I'm sorry. What are my What are my responsibilities well it's, it's, it's just that i've failed again as usual to close the show neatly and tidily i don't know seeing as you seem well, to be the man who can deliver a 1.0 can you <laughs> uh, well i would just take the chance to say thank you to all three of you so much for having me on it's always just really nice to get to to chat with all of you and you have a great podcast so thanks thanks for doing it for all of us who are out there in the community trying to keep tabs on what's going on Okay, well, well, thank you very much. Uh, it's very kind of you to say so, and it's been great to have you on. And I look forward to uh, to having you back on the show when next time there's uh, something uh, that we need to report on for for Film Lab. Okay, well, uh, that is the end of the show. Then um, we are the Sunny Sixteen podcast, and uh, all three of us have been here today. And uh, our extended team help us with our social media as well. So you can get Sunny Sixteen podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. 
Uh, certainly mm-hmm. Flickr. <laughs> Question uh, mark. Yeah, is it wrong? But yeah, wrong. I know you two aren't there, but I'm there occasionally. So, yeah. Okay, all right. Okay, maybe that didn't deserve a Ron Burgundy moment then. Um, but you can also email us, sunny16podcast at gmail.com. Um, uh, we're going to play you out now, as we do every week, uh, with Rachel's band Rocha, um, whose album Promises I Should Have Kept, you can get on Spotify, Amazon or iTunes. Um, and then at the end of that, after the end of that music, we are going to add in the second piece from Martin Scarland on his darkroom build. So uh, don't turn it off just as you hear the trumpets kicking. Um, you need to wait to the end and then get the, the, the next piece in the story from Martin. So uh, with that said, it has been an honour and a privilege to talk to you all, as always, every week. Um, thank you very much and goodbye. Bye. Bye, Bye guys. It's Martin Scarland with another quick update. Um, I've now spent the last two weekends working on my darkroom. The first weekend I spent, well, just clearing up really, and um, I put a stud wall in to divide my darkroom section off and then put some other stud walls around the other exterior walls so that I could then insulate them and plasterboard them. Um, Then on the second weekend, and my plasterboard arrived so I could then insulate them and put plasterboard up. I'm hoping this week in the evenings to go in there and tape all the joints and and fill all the screw holes or screw dents, whatever you call them. Um, I also have, it's not fitted, but I've placed the sink in, in place. So it's, it's not plumbed in, but it's all in place. Um, other couple of excitements. Um, I was just going to buy a, a second-hand Belfast sink, which would be relatively easy to clean and and um, wash prints in and stuff. But while I was trolling through eBay, um, a rather large, old darkroom sink became available. Um, so I looked up and and it looked a lot bigger than I really required or needed, but it looked quite good. So um, it was still available and I went and picked it up. So for 50 quid, I picked up a sink that is five foot long and about, oh, this is mixing measurements. Um, now it's five foot long by about 30 inches deep. So it's quite large. Um, but in a way perfect and it fits in exactly to to one left hand side of my my darkroom now um so that's cool um the other thing was um i was looking for some for an enlarger basically to see what was available and um, a lot of them are quite expensive but um something flashed up on facebook which is not really where i normally buy things but 
Um, someone was selling uh, a medium format enlarger with two lenses and a load of other stuff. And in that stuff was a Jobo processor, um, which I don't really need, but I knew they sold for quite a lot of money. So I, um, I, I, I messaged him and it was still available. So it was in Barking of all places, which is a horrible place to drive to. But I agreed to go and collect it the, later the, the following week. And I picked it all up for 60 quid, which is amazing. So I came back with it, cleaned up the Jobo, um, and immediately put it on eBay again. And the Jobo alone sold for £160. So I've made 100 quid um, and an enlarger, which is fantastic. So now I've got an enlarger. Um, so I am going to be doing some printing, which is a bit off of my original brief, but that's fine. Um, so I've got an enlarger and I've got a cool sink. And the sink is very grotty. Um, it's an old fiberglass sink. It's not a nice stainless steel thing, but for 50 quid, it's perfect. Um, so that's it, really. Um, I'll update you soon. Cheers. Bye.